Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. The views and opinions of this show are directly those of the hosts and its guests. It does not reflect the opinions of its affiliates or its sponsors. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens... When the mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view, <laughs> something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight we've got another amazing episode for you. Uh, if you guys didn't check out last, week, uh, last week's episode, uh, we were at Scarefest 13 Resurrection. Uh, great con to go to. Um, Eric and I, like we had said last week, did not enjoy ourselves like we used to. And I don't think it had anything to do with the con. It's just, I think we've finally gotten to that point in our lives where we're like, yeah, maybe this is not as fun as we remember. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's kind of contradicting there what you just said, because it's a great con, but also it's not as great as we remember. But um, in, in reference well, to what you're saying, in, in is... reference to our own, our own, perception of it it is a great con but we have changed so much that it's not our cup of tea anymore right i think the con is a great place for people who are simply fans of horror television and movies and the paranormal right uh and don't do anything outside of that or even in a much more larger expanded box like we do in terms of podcasting uh so when we go to those conventions it's not simply to just go and hang out uh we go to interact it's work yeah yeah you know and early on in our career uh we want to call it that uh, as podcasters you know it was all new we didn't know anybody and as you begin to learn more and meet more people uh you're pretty much just seeing the same thing over and over again that we see on a weekly basis anyway uh and talking with the same people we've talked to in the past which is cool when you get to be, you know, talk to them one-on-one in right. person because everything's online. Uh, but even still, you know, it, there's, you know, this year in particular was kind of weird because there were a lot of artists, which is cool if you like art, uh, right. which Justin and I do, but it doesn't really help us. It doesn't benefit us uh, in terms of podcasting. Uh, so in that sense, it was a little a little disappointing. And not to mention that considering how many vendors were there, many of those vendors were just selling the same product, maybe slight variations of the product, but the same one. There were, what, five, six tables that were just stones, gems, crystals, you know, yep. things like that, yep. that people, crystals and stuff like that that people were selling. So you've seen them at one table, you're going to see them at the next and the next and the next and the next. I think that's something that has become a commonplace thing for the paranormal is well if you're going to be in the paranormal you must be into 
crystals as well because you're supposed to use crystals to protect yourself. So, um, and even the non-crystal side, you know, the horror vendors, a lot of the stuff was, I, I mean, horrific, of course, but how many tables did we see where it was stuffed animals' faces torn off and a skull in its place? There was at least two that I know of off the top of my yeah. head. There, there are two of those, and then, of course, there were... Uh... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like stuffed animals, the people who taxidermy, they're taxidermy tables. Like why is oh, there a taxidermy yeah. table at a paranormal right. and horror conference? It doesn't make sense, but okay. You know, it's there. Um, and then of course there's companies selling t-shirts and many of these t-shirts don't really relate to people. You know, they're not like t-shirts that uh, are, that they're not products that's that I guess, are connected to uh, like certain merchandise or other uh, companies. You know, it's not like, right. oh, this is all, uh, you know, Evil Dead's merchandise that wasn't there. There wasn't any merchandise for Evil Dead other than a poster or two right. at a couple of tables. Um, and, you know, Evil Dead was a big thing there this year. I mean, how many Ash people have we seen, have right. seen walking around? You know, it's, uh, but that wasn't there. So, it, yeah, you know, I think... <clears throat> For, for people like you and I who tend to go there for work, you know, and have wanted to grab a table for a while now, which is something we should have done this year, but, you know, various reasons we didn't, uh, I think it would have been more beneficial to us. You right. can only do so much when you're walking around, you know. You can't just stop well, people walking past you and say, hey, let me tell you about this, because then you're just like a solicitor. Right, yeah. Well, and um, that's why we're thinking about doing it if not next year in in a years to come um we're really hoping next year though but on top of that yeah you get the people coming to you rather you coming to them with your business card saying i do a pod paranormal podcast would you like to be a guest instead you get them to come to you and say i would like to be a guest well and not just you know it's not just trying to get guests on the show it's just you know no no you're right uh, you know, more people involved, listeners, things like that. And that's what I'm talking about because, you know, we can't just stop people who are there to enjoy themselves and try to convince them to take our card and tune into us on Sunday nights. You know, right. uh, I would hate it. And I have hated it when people do that to me. And I usually ignore them, even other podcasters. I'm like, they give me their card. And I throw their card out because I'm not a fan of solicitors. I hate it. Um, but, you know, that's the type of, you know, people we don't want to be. Right. Okay, folks, that's this isn't the Scarefest episode. Um, I just wanted to touch base and let you guys know, hey, we were there, we did a show on it, and we're possibly looking at having a table there soon. But tonight, uh, it is our Halloween episode on Halloween, which I don't... It's been a while since we've had on Halloween, if we've ever had it on Halloween. I'm not even 100% on that. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about uh, bizarre and amazing and weird Halloween traditions in Europe. Um, I had found this article from diapersonaplane.com. Odd name for a website, but okay. Um, and then on top of that, they're talking about weird traditions in, in Europe on the Halloween season. Uh, 
I don't think we'll go through all 33, but there were a few that I found kind of fascinating. So did you go through all of them at all, Eric? Uh, I scanned through most of them. Okay. So number two is one that caught my eye because, I mean, number one was Sawin. We've talked about Sawin multiple times on the show. Uh, If you guys didn't check it out, check out Eric's blog. Very informative and well-typed out blog. So check that out. But number two was in Romania, Halloween party at Bran Castle. Technically, Halloween isn't even on the calendar in the country of Romania. I did not know that. Uh, But popular culture has created a hotspot within the city of Transylvania with Bran Castle. Uh, November 2nd, they have this huge party at this famous castle uh, running all night from 9 p.m. until 5 a.m. Children and adults are welcome. And they do a traditional Halloween festivities complete with spooky festive setting, food, a visit from the immortal Count Dracula, candy, haunted sights and sounds, a time tunnel, and more. The weirdest thing about this celebration, it's super affordable. Tickets run from 35 lei, which is 8 American dollars, to 320 lei, which is 700, I'm sorry, 73 dollars so 35 lay to 320 lay eight to 73 dollars eric i think we need to go to romania (laughs) yeah now if only the trip to romania is going to be like 700 yeah yeah. you're right (laughs) (laughs) but i would certainly rather do that than anything around here at the moment right um the other one that really or set of ones that caught my is three, four, and five, which is Italy, uh, La Festa di Agnisanti, uh, Benvenuti all'Inferno, and Euro Chocolate Festival. Uh, Anaxanti in Italy, the beginning of all of harvest is November 1st and 2nd. Uh, Agnisanti is a mild celebration that is less Halloween and more All Saints Day. Makes sense. Italy is predominantly a Catholic uh, country. Um, it is celebrated with bread and desserts, plus a trip to the cemetery to remember loved ones who have died, including the saints and martyrs who died on behalf of the Catholic church. It's also a tradition to propose marriage during Agnesanti uh, by hiding rings in bean cakes. Cultures, cultures all over the world believe that the souls of the dead actually live in beans, which is interesting. And to hide the ring in a bean cake, I feel that you're risking your future wife or husband, because they're having proposals to men now, choking on the ring, but to each their own, I guess. Uh, In the city of Carnaldo, Italy, however, it's all Halloween. Uh, the witches here give Salem, Massachusetts a run for its money. The witches of Carnaldo believe they are true descendants of their idols, and they celebrate a festival that lasts for four days in October. It is titled Benevenuti alla Inferno, Welcome to Hell. All things must have an opposite, and so just an hour and a half I'm sorry, one and a half hours from hell, you can find heaven in the form of Euro Chocolate Festival. 
This year's Chocolate Festival is held between October 19th to October 28th in central Italy in the town of Perugia. This is a an incredible event where chocolatiers put on incredible displays and workshops, not to mention chocolate tastings and fantastic dishes to try with chocolate as the main ingredient. So those were two that I found pretty fascinating. Um, I actually saw a video on the celebration, the Halloween celebration in Salem. Speaking of Salem mm-hmm. in that article, and it they go all out in Salem, Massachusetts for Halloween season, which obviously makes sense, but still. Yeah, I absolutely believe it. And I wish I could have gone, you know, uh, my girlfriend and I wanted to go this month and just didn't have the time because I don't have the vacation time uh, to be going at the end of the month here. Uh, Right. And unfortunately, we just don't have the time to go in November and December. We're kind of on this block thing uh, at work. So we're just kind of stuck until at least mid-December. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can go this winter, although it's going to be pretty dang cold up there uh, come December. So we'll see. Uh, But yeah, you know, hopefully one day, both of us, hopefully one day we'll get up there, whether together or separate. Um, I know that's something that's been on our bucket list for a while here. <clears throat> one of the ones that I came across that I actually thought was really interesting was actually number six. Uh, and it's called the Andorra, uh, the day of the chestnut. Now it, it happens on October 31st in the tiny country of Andorra uh, sandwiched, be- which is sandwiched between Spain and France uh, and is the day of the chestnut in which chestnuts are baked along with sweet potatoes in open fire pits and served to bell ringers who are tasked with ringing the bells on all Hallows Eve. Now, the bells are rang for 24 hours without stopping. Can you imagine that? That would suck to live in that city that day. Um, yeah. <laughs> to honor the deceased and remind the living to pray for the dearly departed. This is a very simple one, but, you know, it's very, it, it, we hear about chestnuts, but chestnuts are usually uh, something that's mentioned more so around Christmas time here in the, in the Americas, uh, you know, Chestnuts on an Open Fire is obviously a right. simple lyric and a very popular song. Uh, so seeing that there are chestnuts that are uh, roasted on an open fire with sweet potatoes for a fall festival to honor the dead, I think is really interesting. Uh, and I've never had, I don't know, have you ever had a chestnut, a roasted chestnut? If I have, it's been a very long time. I might have, but I it's been so long if I have that I don't remember. Yeah, I've I have never had one either, and I'm really curious as to what they taste it because they actually look kind of delicious to me. I know they don't look like much, <laughs> you know, right? Uh, and I'm talking about the unroasted ones, but nonetheless, yeah, I, I'm trying to think now if I ever have. I don't may, maybe I haven't, but the, I think they've been like offered or or. Uh... I've seen them, you know, on a plate or something at a um, holiday event or something. And I don't mm-hmm. think I ever tried them. I, I was probably kind of scared to just because it's a part of Christmas tradition. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd like them. But <laughs> but yeah, it it is interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> Moving on from here is you know Halloween, uh, which of course is well basically a, 
relative, I guess, of Samhain uh, after many centuries of various different uh, people groups and nations coming together and moving things around, switching things, making, uh, getting rid of old traditions, bringing in new ones, mixing them, so on and so forth, right? Uh, The main idea is that Halloween for us, uh, for the majority of Americans at least, lasts October 31st, and that's it. Right. In the morning to the night, especially in the evening. Uh, But we also know that there's uh, obviously Samhain, uh, which is a ancient Gaelic festival uh, celebrated by the Celtics originally in Ireland, uh, most pre- predominantly. And that festival began the evening or night of October 31st and ran through November 1st until sunset. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Christian holiday or the Catholic holiday of All Saints Day, Um on Martyrs Day and All Souls Day, All Martyrs Day and All Saints Day actually was combined into one day, All Saints Day, that's November 1st, um, and All Souls Day is November 2nd, in which they celebrate all of the deceased, um, not just the saints or the martyrs, right. but they also have All Hallows Eve or All Hallows Mess, uh, which is, of course, Halloween. Now, with that said, those three things, um, those three versions of quote unquote Halloween only lasts between roughly October 31st and November 2nd. However, our number 12 on this list that I'm taking is Austria is in Austria and it's called selling. I think it's selling Woj. Uh, and it is a Halloween celebration, which is actually held for uh, from October 30th until November 8th. So that's what nine days, I think. 10 days? Sometimes I think it's 10 days. My math is really bad. With days, my math is always really bad. It, nine or 10 days, something like that. It's 10 days. It is 10 days. Um, and what they do is instead of just simply rem- remembering the, day, the dead on one day, they light a candle and they leave out bread for the entire week. And in this case, it's 10 days long. And after those 10 days, the candle is put out and uh, is snuffed out and the bread is put away. And the holiday is over. Uh, so, you know, it, again, it's one of those, this is actually relatively rare because Halloween is one of those things that have always been celebrated between one and three days and nothing more than that. Uh, right. So I think a full week is actually kind of interesting uh, and certainly shows even more respect giving the dead an entire week in which they are celebrated as opposed to one night. One that I found fascinating that's on this list is uh, Guy Fawkes Day. Um, and I think it's only associated with this list because it, it's close to Halloween, but it's after Halloween. It's celebrated on November 5th. Um, if you guys don't know who Guy Fawkes is, Google Guy Fawkes. I, I think at this point, everybody kind of knows who Guy Fawkes is, especially after V for Vendetta and all this other stuff, all these other people using the Guy Fox mask now. Um, but it's to celebrate the capture of Guy Fox, not what he represented. Uh, the British light bonfires and continue to defame and deface the likeness of Guy Fox and the threat he was to their monarchy. Hmm. Number 18 on this list, I thought was kind of interesting and again kind of goes with our heritage Poland 
Uh, they celebrate Zadzuski. Uh, Zadzuski is a celebration held in November where the living must get out of the way of the dead. Unofficially, it's Zombie Day. While the spirit dead come back to Earth to eat, drink, play, and attend Mass, the living are expected to get the heck out of the way. They have a choice to either stay in bed or go to bed early after playing servant. If the living dare be alive during the day, they must constantly apologize to the dead and offer instructions about where they are going to walk and what they are going to do so they don't get in the ghost's way or spirit's way. Mm -hmm. There is, so there's this one really bizarre one uh, called Mary Lewid. And it takes place in Wales. Um, it is definitely definitely an interesting take on the traditions of Halloween. And in this case, uh, the skeleton of a horse's head, uh, basically a horse skull, is affixed to a pole and carried through town with a white bedsheet trailing behind it. Now the person beneath the bedsheet carries the pole and takes on the persona of the dead horse while attempting to best other people in a game of wit and poetry. In exchange, they get free food and alcohol. Hmm. So I don't. Maybe that's something we could try next year. Let's just grab a dead, like a you know, horse's skull, and we'll throw it around on a on a pole and a blanket and we can drink a ton of food or drink a bunch of food and eat a bunch of alcohol. <laughs> Am I drinking? No, not tonight. Should be, <laughs> but no. Alright, this was the last one that I had that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, it's in Bulgaria, the Serva Festival. Uh, it's a celebration where important dignitaries sing, dance, and dress up alongside Kukiri. The Kukiri are people that dress in carnival costumes, basically carnies, uh, specifically adorned with fur and bells and have a scary mask that hides the person's identity. It sounds a lot like the ghosts of Kekripuki in Finland. In fact, they, are, they aren't dissimilar. The costumes in both cultures resemble animals. The tradition of the Serva festival stands in as sort of a Halloween in Europe to scare away evil spirits, tell fortunes, and teach Bulgarian children about traditions and honoring the past. Hmm. So I'm just kind of looking through. There is some interesting, some very interesting things here to that, 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 that just like, they're weird. This one, for example, um, in Monte, uh, Montenegro, uh, Day of Sirun. Uh, now, instead of costumes and candy, uh, Montenegro celebrates Halloween in Europe with fish and wine. Can you imagine that? Like going door to door and asking for a fish and wine instead of candy? That'd be interesting. Uh, on this particular day, uh, during this festival, the coastal city of Budva uh, features 
singing, dancing, performers, food, wine, and of course, fish. And children are heavily involved and perform in children's choirs, gymnastics performances, uh, children's rock groups and soloists, uh, preschool showcases, and various youth circles. Uh, so similar in a way to, once again, Halloween, having all of these parties and involving children, uh, only they go beyond that uh, with the various elements of like contests and things like that that, that uh, they're competing in. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to look through any of the other ones that I thought were fascinating. I think that was pretty much it. I mean, there's so many others, but um, those were the kind of the ones that uh, I thought were the most interesting. Um, well, I'll tell you what, let me give you one more here that I think is just going to kind of top all of this in a way, because this this is new to me. I haven't heard this one. Some of these other ones, are, you know, I think we hear from time to time. Um, but this one comes from the Czech Republic, uh, and I think it's called the Caro, Caro, I don't even know, Caro de Nice, I think. Um, it's basically, I was actually case, just looking at this one on my phone. Um, yeah, yeah so, that's the best pronunciation I could come up with. So, okay, so in this case, think Groundhog Day in the U.S., and you'll start to understand how the tradition of Cara de Nice took root. Uh, whereas much of the world celebrates summer, turning to winter for Halloween festivities, uh, the Czech Republic holds a celebration at the opposite end of the year as winter turns to spring. Now, Cara de Nice translates to Witch's Night. Witches, in this case, are rampant throughout Germany and the Czech Republic, and it's believed that on April 30th, witches are at the height of their power. And of course, of all things that they could do with that power, these witches attempt to prolong winter. So, in order to keep them at bay and allow spring to arrive, citizens must dress up as witches themselves and chase the real witches out of their hiding places in the trees. The night culminates with huge bonfires where participants burn witch uh, effigies to further chase away winter. Then the children with the biggest fire earn both prizes and accolades. There's a couple interesting things here because one, I'd love to see video evidence of these people chasing witches out of trees. I want to see what these witches look like in the trees. Right. Two, clearly... There's no safety precautions because we're trying to find out which child has the biggest fire so that they can right. earn prizes. So let's just give our children matches and lighters. And I mean, I've I've done that when I was a kid. And I lit a fire on my table and I lit the entire backyard on fire as well. <laughs> Probably shouldn't give them to kids. Well, so not only are we encouraging them to be pyromaniacs, but we're also occurring encouraging them to be murderers because they're chasing, not only chasing the people or the witches out of the trees, but they're burning them at the stake on top of that. Well, but not in a literal sense. No, I don't. At least. <laughs> Could you imagine though? That'd be messed up. Yeah. I, I mean, at, at some point, the Czech Republic and Germanic governments, if this were, you literally burn witches would have to come together and be like, do you feel that this is too old of a tradition? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that we should be murdering people anymore. Nonsense. 
but yeah, th- these were some really interesting. Uh, we've kind of covered maybe one or two of these. I know Sawin for sure. We might have covered one of the other ones in the past, but it was just really interesting. Oh, this was one that I came across actually really quick uh, from Portugal. Uh, Pop Hordus, uh, translated to Bread of God. Uh, it's Portugal's version of Halloween or All Saints Day. Anciently, Pop Hordus was cel- celebrated in May, but it was adopted in November to coincide with the rest of the Catholic celebrations around Europe. Uh, young children up to age 10 go to door go door to door in neighborhoods or in the city from shop to shop. In fact, children greet anyone they meet, whether at home or not, singing Papa Deuce requesting treats. Treats are different varieties of bread, either filled with fruit, chocolate, nuts, or seeds. So instead of candy, just sweet breads. And not the sweet bread as in animal brains, sweet breads as in bread. Right. Alright, any others that... uh, Okay, so I just found this one from Switzerland. Did you see the Fosnash? I did not. Um, It's towards the end. It's number 33. Okay. Um... Take a look at the picture that's associated with this while I read this. Uh, the last one on our list is the Halloween celebration of Fasnash in Switzerland. Like many other European countries, Switzerland celebrates Fasnash as the end of the an end of winter. The celebration is a carnival that includes parades and cel- uh, elaborate costumes and is named after the donut that is consumed in vast quantities during the festival. Fasnash means night before the fast, literally. These donuts were made to use up all of the lard and sugar before fasting on the Sabbath. They resemble a uh, beignet. The Swiss do not have trick-or-treating because they have donuts. Fasnash is a countryside celebration that does encourage dressing up. In fact, the costumes are often quite intense, particularly the masks that many citizens wear. Celebrations are included, are also include parties that go all night, parade that begin in the wee morning hours, and candy that is uh, distributed to all party goers for three days straight. And I may have to use this image as our thumbnail for the show because these masks that these people are wearing are really disturbing. They are pretty darn disturbing. I don't like it. (laughs) All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to Paratruth Radio on killerpodcasts.com, care of Evergreen Podcasts, along with everywhere you can find podcasts. We're going to go to Eric's Random Fact of the Day, a quick commercial, and we'll be right back. What do you think of when I say Play-Doh? If you grew up with a substance, chances are you vividly remember the yellow can with colorful lids, the soft, pliable texture, and even the aromatic scent. Play-Doh was a staple in most of our childhoods. 
However, did you know that Play-Doh wasn't originally intended for child's play? According to museumofplay.org, Play-Doh had its start as a wallpaper cleaner developed by Koodle Products Soap Company. Slowly going out of business, Koodle negotiated a contract with Kroger grocery stores and developed the wallpaper cleaner. The original formula of which consisted of water, salt, and flour, and kept the company afloat for 20 years. However, as the need for wallpaper cleaner slowly declined after World War II, the company reconstructed the substance and rebranded it as a child's toy after a schoolteacher convinced them that the product could be used as a handicraft. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome on back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And I just want to wish everyone a very happy Halloween. I hope you are having a good one tonight, eating plenty of candy and drinking plenty of beer, or better yet, cider. Um, I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. There are, there was one thing that I brought up to you uh, earlier this this week uh and that was a little meme that i got on that i saw on facebook regarding the loch ness monster right we said we'd probably discuss this a little bit bring it up so it it kind of blew my mind in a way and and we talked very vaguely about it uh via text but the meme just said that basically that what if the loch ness monster was the ghost of a dinosaur now, to think, I'm sure plenty of you have had this thought already. I, on the other hand, after years and years of research and discussing this creature, uh, have never once thought maybe it's just the ghost of a dinosaur. So it kind of blew my mind. And the one thing that you had mentioned was that uh, if that were the case, um, we can really just chalk it up to what we've discussed in the past. And that is, of course, interdimensional being. But of course that would all depend on whether this interdimensional being was an intelligent being or a residual haunting, uh, which kind of changes everything. Because if indeed it is an intelligent being, then yes, a ghost 
jumping in and out as a dino uh, could be transversing between what time, space, and everything in between um, to unlock these dimensions for a split moment and hop back. But if it's a residual haunting, then there could actually be a spirit of a dinosaur living in Loch Ness uh, that just happens to appear from time to time because it's on its same course that it's been on year after year after year during its life in ancient times. And that does make a lot of sense why um, when when they're searching for this thing, you know, they're, they're doing sonar, they're doing all this, this scientific technical testing, and they'll, they'll catch something large enough that would possibly be Loch Ness Monster. But eventually, most of the time that I've seen, they explain it off as, well, it could be a giant tuna, not exactly, but giant fish of some kind or, or whatever. Um, but that would explain why they cannot get any evidence as far as sonar evidence. Um, why uh, a lot of times if, if there is some type of footage being caught on camera, um, a lot of times just like Bigfoot, it's very fuzzy. You can't mm-hmm. really get a good look at whatever it is they're taking a picture of. Um, you know, that can also be explained, of course, by poor equipment. Uh, they don't have a very good camera. They're using their phone, which most phones do not have the greatest cameras or lenses on them anyways. But it is interesting to think that it could be a residual hunting. And, and I thought that was actually a, a very good point that you had brought up because yes we can like i had said say that a bunch of these different creatures that that we've talked about uh bigfoot loch ness monster a, a lot of the the sea creatures ogopogo champ um maybe they're interdimensional creatures and that's why we're seeing them throughout the world um maybe they're creatures that survived the ice age possibly um it would make sense at least with champ and the loch ness monster both that are plesiosaur like creatures it could possibly be a spirit situation right i mean ogopogo is more described as kind of a serpent creature so I guess it could be a ghost, a, a large serpent ghost, or there are still very large serpents throughout the world. It's, it's not impossible to have this creature in Canada too, but um, when you when you saw that post, like, did you have to look at it multiple times? Do you mean like reread it to really like... Like, yeah, let it sink in what it was saying. No, I mean, it, it, it sunk in immediate, immediately because, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, I've never even thought about it before, which is crazy enough as it is, you know, um, to think that this is just the ghost of a dino. But <clears throat> I think it's definitely um, very, very plausible. Uh, and I know, like, people will say, well, but there's there's other evidence. We, we've picked things up on 
uh, on radar, you know, or, or the scope or whatever? Or what about the water churning? If it was a spirit, the water wouldn't churn around it. Uh, things like that. But if that's the case, then we can say the same thing about any ghost or, you know, that that happens to be residual haunting. Why does a chair move when a residual spirit walks past it? Uh, Why does the cabinet doors open? You know, there's a certain amount of energy that can manifest it into a semi-physical form, or at least, if not physical form, what it does is it provides enough energy to separate physical things um, and make those physical things move without the knowledge of the residual spirit itself. Well, and most people don't realize either that Loch Ness is a very unstable body of water. It gets very choppy. It has had small waves go through it. Um, And I hate to say this, and all of you can tell me I'm wrong or correct me if I'm wrong, but in most cases, we're going by second and third hand accounts of a story. Sometimes first person accounts. But it's still just an account. Nobody ever gets that 100% proof evidence of picture, video, audio, or anything else to say, well, you can say it's a ghost, but what about this? Or you can say it's a ghost, but what about that? Show me irrefutable proof that Loch Ness is a creature and a physical creature then I'll tell you, okay, you know what, you know, maybe that ghost theory is is not plausible. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, now don't get me wrong. There there are plenty of eyewitness accounts uh, over the years and continue to be plenty more even to this very day. Um, But the problem is a lot of those are just eyewitness accounts without any evidence to back up those accounts. So whatever people are seeing could be uh, misidentification. It could be a trick of the eye. It could be uh, so many number of things. But if this cryptid was a actual physical being, uh, then I would think we'd see some sort of remnant of it, whether that be... uh, the type of diet that it has. Is there a certain amount of fish that exist that don't exist uh, in the water anymore? After so many years, are we seeing any, um, you know, are we seeing any digestive stuff, you know, products from, right. from the creature? Are we seeing anything on land? Like you can say scat. Marks? It's okay. Right. Well, I didn't We're think allowed of, to talk I about poop. I didn't think of the word. I didn't think of the word scat. But, you know, like it's, um, you know, it, it, we, we don't see any, anything on land there's there's no like flipper prints or you know whatever it has you know there's none of that that anyone has ever seen and there's no evidence of it so whatever this creature is stays in the water and never gets out seemingly despite what some eyewitnesses have said but even then if the eyewitnesses are correct there should be some sort of evidence uh to prove it you know there think about any person walking along a beach, you're going to leave footprints. And if something like this plesiosaur-like creature, which probably weighs tons even, you know, it's going to leave a pretty big mark on land, especially soft land, uh, as you would see along a coastline. So, but that doesn't exist. We don't have that evidence. Right. And 
if it's a physical creature, at some point they have to die. Uh, this legend goes all the way back to the late 1800s even. You would think if there was a creature there, we would have come up with a corpse. If it's multiple creatures, we would find some evidence of um, reproduction. Usually most dinosaurs would lay their eggs on land, at least that the scientific research that has been done has kind of stated that. Um, so, yeah, you would think we would have more physical evidence if this was a physical creature. Right. So I came across an article just before we were going to record. I didn't tell you about it because I wanted a non-biased opinion without you reading the article. Okay. Um, so the article is, the, the title of the article is The New Strategy for Scoring a Deal on a House, Buying a Haunted One. This is from apartmenttherapy.com. And basically the, the gist of the article is uh, in order to get a good deal on a home, buy one that has a grizzly past. Now, according to realtor.com, realtor 20% of Americans say they would live in a home where a murder has taken place. And 17% would live in a haunted house. Um, in fact, 75% of those surveyed say they'd require a discount to buy a home where someone has been murdered, with the majority wanting a 10% markdown. As for haunted homes, 63% of those looking to buy in the next 12 months are willing to live in a haunted house at a discounted price, with most looking for a discount that's more than 20% off market price. Now, in my opinion, if you're saying you're willing to live in a haunted house or one where one has had a murder, no, I'm not going to give you a discount because you're saying you're willing to live in this house. You're buying it at regular price. Um, but there were, were some more percentages here um, that I found kind of fascinating. According to Realtor.com's survey, they noticed a variety of signals for those that have said that they've lived in a haunted house. 58% uh, thought it was partially because of strange noises. 44% said it was the feel of certain rooms, which that part makes a lot of sense. The strange noises, more times than not, can be debunked and, and explained. 42% uh, saw shadows. 37% reported feeling touched. 37% noticed strange pet behavior 35 percent noticed items moving 34 percent felt a hot or cold spot 33 percent spotted a ghost 31 percent saw the lights turn on and off and 12 percent of respondents saw levitating objects now that 12 percent part that would be very hard to debunk in my opinion other than a weird air gust or something that would cause that, but I think that's very rare that that would happen. Mm -hmm. um, so the last part of this article is kind of funny. The takeaway when you're house hunting, check the closets for 
any skeletons. Your dream home could be in closer reach than you think. So if you were to ever buy a home, would you consider owning a home that is haunted or has had some type of grizzly past? Um, I mean, I live in a haunted home. So the first thing is it depends on the haunting because, you know, here, first thing is grizzly past. No, absolutely not. I don't want any part of it because there's regardless of what the grizzly past is uh, being a sensitive, I'm going to feel that energy regardless uh, if there's something physically present there or not in the spiritual term, uh, but the energy is going to be there regardless. Uh, however, some people can go into that home and not feel a thing because they're just not sensitive to the energy that was right. uh, put out during a murder uh, or a suicide or whatever. As for a haunted house, again, for, for me, it just depends on the type of haunting, you know, and that's going to come off more so as a feeling um I guess more so than anything else, because until you're there and you could spend time there, uh, you're not really going to know what type of haunting it is, uh, unless you just pay attention to the various claims that people have made about it. You know, is it seem more poltergeist? Does it seem more uh, residual? Does it seem intelligent? But is it a nice intelligence? Is it a a dark intelligence? You know, those are the type of things that people have nightmares. Do they not have nightmares? Do they wake up at a certain time at night? And we all know what time we don't want to waking up at in the middle of the night. Right. Uh, you know, so yeah, I think for me, there's a lot that still goes into it. Um, but depending on uh, the sources uh, of the, the material that makes up the stories, I guess, uh, of the haunting and what I'm feeling on site would determine whether or not I would purchase it. So I would say that, yes, there is a possibility, but that possibility is limited based on uh, the evidence that I can scrape up. See, I'm kind of the opposite. I would buy it either way because then there's a house that we can do an investigation in (laughs) and have it on Paratroop Radio. Um, But here's the thing, Justin. See, yes, I see what you're saying. But you have to consider the fact that you'd be living in that house regularly. Uh, you know, you're, we're not just buying. A, most people are not buying a house just to have one on the side to investigate, right? Uh, so, can you, well knownly, uh, knowingly, live in a house indefinitely, knowing that a person or even a family were brutally murdered there? Could I? I, I think I could because it. With notwithstanding the the negative energy there, um, it's not there anymore as far as the the grizzly murders concerned. Um, well, I I know the thinking of a lot of people though that say there's no haunting there, but if you know the history of a place, it can be rather scary, and you can create your own haunting there just by knowing that. Me, on the other hand, I, I wouldn't. I would go in knowing th- th- what happened there, but it's not something that I like would worry about or anything. Um, other than, like you said, if I felt energy there, then we'd have to do a cleansing. I don't care if we have to get a priest in here or whatever the cleansing is. Uh, it is possible to live in a house that is 
haunted or has a grizzly past that might have a haunting uh, if you protect yourself, which we've talked about before. Um, yes, it would probably wreak havoc on my senses, but it would be, I think it would be plausible. Now, if I, I ever got to that point, I might change my opinion, but like I was talking about with the uh, blog that I did about if I could transfer my consciousness into a cybernetic body or something, it, it my opinion might change if I got to that point. But as of right now, I think I could do that. Okay. Hmm. And I know my wife would absolutely do that just because of the person she is. I want to hear that from her own mouth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's pretty much all I've got. Did you have anything else that you had looked up or anything for our Halloween episode? No, sir. Um, so I, this has kind of been a variety show for our Halloween episode this year. We've had uh, different types of celebrations. We had Loch Ness Monster as a ghost. And to get a deal on a house, just look for the haunted or grisly past. There you go. So I hope, like Eric had said earlier, I hope you guys are enjoying the Halloween season and, and are enjoying Halloween. If you're listening to Paratruth on Halloween, Thank you for letting us be a part of your celebration. Uh, please make sure if you're listening to this in the early part of the day, be safe out there during your trick-or-treating or taking your kids trick-or-treating or whatever it is you do for Halloween. Uh, if you are going to a Halloween party, please do not drink and drive. I'm sure we probably say this every year on our all of our holiday episodes, but I think it's very important to let you guys know that we care about you, our listeners. So be safe out there during Halloween this year. Um, make sure you're checking your candy for weird puncture marks, needles. I don't know. Razor blades was a thing back when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Um, you never enjoy... know. You just never know these yeah. days. Right. And, 20 and uh 2020 and 2021 have been so weird i wouldn't put it past sickos out there to start doing this stuff to bring the uh uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for um the fears out, out of people by putting this stuff in candy um right urban legends that's what i was looking for urban legends ah. uh bringing the urban legends to life in in 2020 and 2021 so be safe out there until next week folks where you will find us same time same channel my name is justin and i'm eric peace
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.